The Daily Tap is live for Friday. It is March 10th. We're going to talk about how Marquette survived the pressure of March. We'll also chat about the Milwaukee Bucks win, why Brooke Lopez needs to be appreciated every day. Uh, we'll also discuss uh, Aaron Rodgers' watch, and we'll do it in quick fashion. I know sometimes I say that, but I don't mean it. I got to taping the podcast late because I have the day off today, and we need to get the podcast up. So I will try to do this uh, lickety split, not uh, over talk today, and get a podcast up. So you have it for most of the workday, you have it for your shoveling or snow blowing, or you just have it for watching hoops this afternoon. Uh, before we get going, just a reminder to follow us on social media, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. We will have reviews. I'm sure we'll have some other stuff today around uh, the world of sports. Then also make sure that you're rating and reviewing, as well as subscribing. The listeners for yesterday's Tapping the Keg were awesome. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Um, not sure if it got picked up somewhere, but it was uh, a surprising amount of people listening to the pod yesterday. Uh, the sport has been great. Honestly, March has been an incredible month for us. Uh, really tells me that we're pushing the oars in the right direction um, and excited to make the transition to Tapping the Keg, Wisconsin. I don't know exactly when that's going to happen. Uh, it might be around the 500th episode, which we are getting prepared for. Uh, Murph, Mitch, and I will be doing that show. I have a topic for that show. I'm really excited for it. Um, so stay tuned on that front. Uh, but yeah, if you already are rate, if you already are subscribed, uh, make sure that you are dropping reviews. Uh, make sure you're telling your friends about us. Make sure you're telling your parents, whatever. If your parents be interested in a millennial talking about everything, or they're missing maybe the talk radio because all of it's national these days. We are that voice for you, uh, at least for 30, 30 minutes, if not an hour, every day and all day. All right, before we get going on Marquette, we are going to have a podcast tomorrow. We're going to talk about Marquette, UConn. We'll recap that. It will be early. I have something to do in the morning, so I am forced to do the podcast at night. So I can't. There is nowhere to run and hide. I have to do the podcast. Uh, and I'll do it late because my wife will uh, be up. So we'll, her and I will have to discuss on my timing because usually Friday nights we're, we're hanging out, spending time together. But it might have to be, uh, might be a little bit different. Might have to uh, tweak uh, that formula a, a bit, if you will. Uh, but we will have a podcast. Um, if, there, if the Rogers stuff breaks, too, for whatever reason, that will be all conjoined in that podcast. And then if Marquette were to advance on Saturday, we'd have a podcast Sunday. If Rogers were to make a decision on Saturday, we would have a podcast Sunday. Um, we'll probably talk Bucks Warriors because we're going to do a podcast for Monday. We're probably not going to talk a lot about the Bucks. Uh, it's a special pod that we're doing with Mitch. We're doing with Shea Ken. Um, we're going to have some fun. Uh, so stay tuned for that. All right, we also have March Madness Bracket, which you got to fill out uh, on Yahoo. I've provided some links. I'll try to link it out today on the Twitter and the Instagram as well. Okay, enough about enough house cleaning. Let's talk about Marquette. So Marquette saw the pressure of March right in their face yesterday against St. John's. Marquette started off actually kind of good. I thought like I felt like Marquette was like, I was like okay, there is no real real pressure here. They're feeling good. Like they yeah, a couple missed shots here and there, but. They're just getting comfortable with the gym and, you know, they, everything else. And Omax Prosper, who is great in the game, had 16 points. He breaks away with a steal. He dunks the basketball. That's 16 to 15 at that point. And they get technical. And that was the start of what was a very frustrating day of Big East officiating. Jeff Anderson, who was the ref for St. John's Marquette last week, you'd think would have learned his lesson, uh, but he was god-awful this entire fucking game. 
and Marquette really struggled. Uh, they they were down 10 um, in the first half. Uh, they were 36 to 26 at the first half uh, buzzer. And it was really weird that Marquette had sort of fallen apart. And I think throughout, I'm not going to recap this whole game because you guys have watched it. Sure, you've read stuff from whether it's Ben Steele or Anonymous Eagle or somebody else that has already wrote about it. So I'm not going to do like a full recap. But it was interesting and I think encouraging that Marquette handled the, didn't handle the pressure well, but found a way to win. And now maybe everything is flushed out. Like the pressure is off. As my guy coach pointed out, this is their first postseason win. They kind of have one of the monkeys off their back. They have one monkey off their back, which is, hey, we've really struggled at Madison Square Garden. I wouldn't say that that was a successful day at Madison Square Garden, but Marquette, in the time that I've remembered, and I'd have to go back, I think maybe there was a West Virginia game where Marquette was able to win, or maybe they lost that game. I can't can't recall. But Marquette, when it comes to grinder games in the Big East tournament, that has not been a, a situation where Marquette has won those games. Those games have been games that Marquette has lost. Marquette has not, not came out victorious in these grinder games and where really everybody was against Marquette. Like there were Marquette fans there, but let's be honest, it was a pro St. John's crowd. It was a sellout crowd of Madison Square Garden, which is incredible for noon on a Thursday. You, you just would think nobody fucking works. And the, the fact is, is that Marquette was able to go into the belly of the beast. They were able to beat St. John's, even though they had played probably a C minus game. Like that was probably the worst I've seen Marquette play this year, barring the UConn game um, in Connecticut. Like that to me is says so much about Marquette and says so much about their resolve, about who they are as a basketball team and that they took the pressure, didn't handle it well, but found a way at the end and found a way in overtime, despite the officials calling everything against Marquette. And if St. John's would have won that game without making a field goal in overtime, I would have lost my mind. They, I don't know if I would have been able to work. I would have had to do a podcast like right away. I, I would have been apoplectic because it would have it would have directly probably correlated into Marquette being a four seed, right? Um, and now the door, I think, is open for the Golden Eagles to potentially sneak their way into the two line, maybe even without UConn being there, which we can talk about here in a second. But I do think that you're going to get a better version of the Marquette Golden Eagles tonight against, against Connecticut. I do not think the same sort of fears are going to exist because why, what do you have to worry about now? Like you got through your first game, you won that game, you didn't play well, and you still found a way to win. They know that they have a second gear. They know they have a third gear. They are a very good basketball team. And Tyler Kulik got really involved in the second half. He did all of his work in the second half. He was terrible in the first half. Second half was great in overtime. He finished the game with 19 points. I think he almost what did he have? rebound and nine rebounds, six assists. He nearly had a triple double in his Big East tournament game. Like that's incredible. That's incredible stuff. Tyler Kulik was getting to the basket. He knew what he needed to do. And Marquette really attacked in the second half. And that was the whole comeback. And that, I think Marquette needs to recognize that 
they won this game by shooting inside the arc. I know we are all obsessed with three-pointers. I get it. I understand that mid-range jumpers are not productive shots in the NBA or NBA or college basketball. I push that back on slightly because I watched Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday win the Bucs a championship by shooting mid-range jumpers from time to time, okay? So don't give me that it just has to be three-pointers and, and layups, okay? And the, the fact is, is we just need a little bit more of attack early from our cat. And I think it'll be okay. I, I don't, I'm not worried that this is going to be the Marquette we'll see all March. I think this was just the first game of March. You saw how tight they were. You saw the pressure. And I, I do think it's going to be different today. Now, if it isn't different today, do we have a problem? I, I, I think that the jury is still out there. Because again, they're going to be going into the Valley of the Beast. This will be a pro UConn crowd. UConn owns the Big East Tournament. This is their week. They love the UConn. They love this tournament. I talked about it on the preview show, I think Tuesday, where I said, like Kentucky does with the SEC tournament, as Mark Titus pointed out, I think it was Mark Titus or it was Brandon Walker or one or two. It was on his podcast. But they pointed out, like, Kentucky feels like they should win the SEC tournament every time. Their fans do, at least. That's how UConn fans are. UConn fans think they should win that tournament every fucking time out. And so because of that, I, I know that this is going to be a very difficult game for the Marquette Golden Eagles in terms of a fan and in terms of when UConn gets on runs, it's going to be ugly. It's imperative that Marquette needs to get out to a hot start. We saw what happened when UConn got out to a, a roaring start in the, in, the, in the game in Connecticut. That was a disaster. I have said that I don't think any team in America would have beat the, the Huskies that night. Uh, they were so good. Um, so I, I do want to point that out, that Marquette did beat them in, in Milwaukee. And I think just work on the tape, study that. I think the Providence 3-2 zone was really successful against UConn it, it down the stretch and made that game a lot closer than it was. Remember, Connecticut led, I think, led that game by about 28 points, and it creeped back. Like, at one point, the Friars got down to five points. And a 3-2 zone actually works in Marquette's favor if you think about what they have now they haven't been the best in zone mostly because they're not great rebounders and so you're you're basically sacrificing the rebounding angle for a zone defense and I, I i do wonder what shaka smart's philosophy there will be will they start man to man and then transition to that three two zone or will they they go right away at it because it seems like it's something that really bothered uconn in the game yesterday if you look at a three two zone from arcade it's it's pretty successful right you have kolik in the middle you have Jones, Cam Jones on the side. You have Omax probably at the two underneath and Stevie Mitchell on the other one. So Mitchell, Jones, and Kolek, that's a pretty good, you know, front. And then your back is Oso and Omax. That's, that's not terrible, right? That's not terrible. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see it. I would not be surprised if they enact the same thing that Providence did because that completely confused UConn. And I don't think that in a day, day and a half, maybe a day plus, UConn's going to suddenly figure out how to handle a 3-2 zone. They might not know. And so I would not be surprised to see the Golden Eagles try some of that to maybe slow down the Huskies and sacrifice potential offensive rebounds. I also think it's really, really important that Cam Jones keeps his shit together. Cam Jones hit a huge shot, all right? As pointed out by Tim Brando, who's maybe the worst college basketball announcer that we have going, uh, pointed out that 
Cam Jones, if they, they Cam Jones doesn't make that three, Marquette's not in overtime. He's absolutely right. He hit a shot. Marquette probably should have won the game in regulation. They were up four at that point when Cam Jones hit that shot. But I, I do I do feel like he needs to play within himself. And I don't really think he did. Um, you know, he's three of thirteen from from the field or from three point land. I, I know he hit that. It was a three of thirteen from the field. Let's check that. Yeah, it was three of thirteen from three. He only shot inside the arc three times. And Cam Jones is a good driver. He's a tough finisher. Like, there's no reason why his discrepancy should be thirteen and three. Um, that that just shouldn't happen, right? So I think Cam Jones needs to play within himself. Um, he needs to just rein it in a little bit. I actually thought Chase Ross was the better player than Cam Jones. I thought Chase Ross played great. Um, his offensive rating in this game per Cam 151, uh, over 122 minutes. He had nine points in this game. I thought he was really aggressive defensively. He made three threes. Um, I, I would not be opposed to Shaka Smart pulling the quick trigger. I think Chase Ross is a guy who... It has the physicality at, to, and the verticality to bang with this Connecticut team. I, I would expect Chase Ross early if Cam Jones isn't on. Like if, if Cam Jones really does struggle, that that's going to be that's going to be an issue. Um, and what can they do? And UConn, the one thing they've struggled with defensively is fouling. Um, they're sixth overall in point distribution in terms of fouls. So can you force UConn into getting? you know, getting to the free throw line and it'll depend. It's rough dependent too. Right. And Marquette doesn't get to the line. Marquette's, you know, very balanced. They make as many three pointers as they do two pointers. Uh, but it's, you know, and UConn's really good at stopping, stopping the threes. Their defense is built to, you know, perimeter defense. Um, they are one of the best in the country in terms of stopping three point shooting. Uh, it's 362 out of 363, I believe. So it's going to be a challenge. Uh, it's not. This is not going to be an easy game. Uh, one other advantage, though, that Marquette has is turnovers. UConn is one of is one of the worst teams in terms of turning the ball over. Marquette is one of the best in forcing turnovers. So I, I really, I really do think that's another advantage. Even though this is like going to be a pro UConn crowd, it's it's still a neutral site game. It's still a different environment. It's still a different court. So I, I do wonder can. Can Marquette sort of make some offense out of turnovers and get UConn to turn the ball over and not let them jump out to that early lead? Like that's the that's the huge thing. Like you have to win that first four minutes. I think that it's very cliche, but if you can win that first four minutes, I think you're really setting yourself up for success. I think Marquette would have a real chance to win this basketball game. They're only a three-point dog. I'm not going to recommend anything in terms of that direction because I think it's it's a really hard thing to pinpoint. But in that first game, it was 26 to 10 in the in the first quarter of the game. So the first 10 minutes, Connecticut led 26 to 10. They won the game by 15. If you want to play it out, Marquette basically played even the rest of the way. They just had a really bad, really bad first 10 minutes. So in that second game, just to go back, Marquette. Was it was pretty close. They won the first ten minutes. It was 2019, 18 to 13 to Connecticut. Then Marquette turned it on in the second half, as they have all year. Connecticut had led it in the first game, 31 to 20, in the first half before Marquette flipped it. And remember, Oso Iguodaro and Omax both had big games, and they both did a lot inside. Marquette made a lot of hay inside. They also got to the line 19 times. Um, they. 
they were good, and they forced 16 turnovers out of Connecticut in that second game. In the the next game, Connecticut still had the turnovers. They had 17, but it, it didn't matter because they had pushed ahead. They also grabbed 21 offensive rebounds. So I really, I really look at a lot of this and say it's going to come down to rebounding. It's going to come down to playing within yourself, making sure that you're getting to the basket, um, and trying to create, you know, a, being a little bit different and making making forcing UConn into following you and trying to make it from the line and also maybe speeding them up. I don't think UConn wants to play as fast as Marquette. I realize UConn plays plays a little fast, but they don't play as fast as the Golden Eagles. Um, and I think Marquette's going to want to speed up the Huskies. And I, I do think they can win this game. Um, I, I'm not, I would say my confidence level for bringing back the confidence meter uh, is probably like a five, right? Um, because of just how good Connecticut's been in this tournament, how well the Huskies are playing. Uh, but I, I do think that this could be a battle for a three seed or a two seed. I, I don't think Connecticut's resume is good enough for a two seed. I, that's a little egregious. But I, I do wonder, will the committee favor Connecticut, right? Will they, will they put Connecticut in over Marquette right now they're 24 and seven they they have seven losses in in Big East play um so how much does that determine they have some bad losses there with losing to St. John's at home they lost to Seton Hall um those are losses Marquette does not have um you know Xavier losing to Xavier twice uh kind of an issue like right if you're deciding between Xavier and Connecticut I I think it would be egregious if Marquette wasn't the highest seeded Big East team but I could just see the committee pulling that shit. Maybe that's me being, you know, me against the world, you know, Midwest guy, whatever. But I think Mark, the door should be open for Marquette as a two seed, especially after Kansas State losing. Like Kansas State, I thought it was weird that Kansas State was a two seed. I didn't think they really deserved it. And now it's like, how can you, how can you put Kansas State as a two seed? If I pull up Jerry Palm, which I know sometimes drives people crazy because they're like, oh, they're better people than Jerry Palm. Uh, Jerry Palm updates it every day, which is nice. Lenardi would never. Um, he probably has updated it, but we'll we'll check on that in a second here. He does have Marquette as a two now um, in Des Moines, Iowa, with Michigan State or FIU, FAU in the second round, which that's not great. And Colgate in the first round. Colgate, I mean, that would be first to 100. That would be just an absolute running gun. But yeah, they he Palm has moved Kansas State to the three line. Also, I forgot Baylor lost too. So moving Baylor to the three line. So it seems like Kansas State and Baylor both did themselves a disservice. Texas winning has helped them. They might even get to a th- uh, one seed. Uh, Gonzaga, UCLA are your twos right now. So if you're playing at home, is there any three seed that could impact that? UConn's moved to the three line. Again, I don't think they're going to get a two, but you never know. Maybe Arizona sneaks down to the two. If you if Arizona and UCLA are there at the end, does Arizona, you know, make a case for a two seed? I don't think anyone at the four line, Virginia, Indiana, Xavier, Tennessee, I don't think that they are going to impact it. I, I look at it as Marquette at this point to me is a two or a three. I would be stunned if they were something not. Uh, that I, I know it's, you know, there's a little bit of a demon of the, the bracket reveal, but Marquette has played much better. You know, that thing has broke a lot differently than when that bracket was out, whatever it was a month ago or something like that. Looking at Mr. Lenardi, he still puts Marquette as a three, but he's including uh, UConn also on the three line and still has Baylor at two. Now, did he update this recently? Let's see here. Yeah, he updated this today. That's wild. 
if if Baylor, not to get like pretty mad about this, but if Baylor go, gets has a higher seed than Marquette when they not only beat Baylor, they advance farther in the conference tournament. Like that's just this Big Twelve bullshit. Like Purdue, he also has Purdue as a two versus uh, UCLA and has UCLA as a one. So that that's another interesting subplot. We could UCLA move up to to Purdue's playing in a little bit. So we'll we'll just have to see. But yeah, he has Marquette, Tennessee, UConn, and Zaga as the twos with Texas, Baylor. Purdue and Arizona as the two. So it's Kansas State down to four. So we'll, we'll have to see. I think it's really going to come down to how much does the committee respect the Big 12. And I know they they love the Big 12 the first time around. Will, will that happen again? Uh, we'll just have to see on Sunday. All right. We already did longer on Marquette than I expected, but that's all right. That's all right. Um, you know, I, I think it's the what you want to talk about right now, and uh, I'm excited for the Golden Eagles, let's move to the professionals and talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. I was lucky to be there last night. I was in the building. Uh, my guy Eric took me to the game. Great seats. Uh, some of the best seats I've sat for a Bucks or or Marquette game at the Pfizer Forum. I've been now lucky enough to go to a game a week now since the start of March. Uh, or I'm sorry, the start of March. You're like, oh, two weeks. Uh, no, it's the start of February. So I've at least done one game since the start of February, which is an absurd, absurd number, right? Like that's that's kind of crazy uh, because, yeah, I went to Butler for National Marquette Day and that started it all. And then after National Marquette Day, I've been at a game a week pretty much, and whether it's uh, Marquette, the Bucks, or or UWM, I, I've somehow been in the building for a lot of different games. So very fortunate. Uh, it's cool. I like that I've watched so much hoops. Uh, makes you feel a little more connected to everything. And as for the Bucks game, what a weird basketball game in general. Uh, just a bizarre. Uh, it, I mean, Brook Lopez guy was amazing, and we're going to talk a little bit more on the Brook Lopez appreciation side of it. But just the game in general, Bucks get out to this big lead. Um, they're dominating this basketball game. Just doesn't look like it's going to be a big night. Looks like we're going to get the Nasus. Like it's just it's going to be a blowout. Then Jock Vaughn does this weird thing where he starts his guys, like his main guys, like Miles Bridges, Seth Curry, a few others, Joe Harris. And then, but he sits them the rest of the way. They only played 10 minutes. So he did like this half sit, where it's like he still wanted his guys to get run. That's play the Timberwolves tonight. So he still wanted his guys to play. Um, but basically all the bench guys played instead. So you had Dayron Sharp, you had Drew Smith, you had Patty Mills, and they all got minutes and they played with a ton of energy. And all of a sudden they came back in the box. The box kind of put it in cruise control. They were really sloppy in the third quarter. And it was a really close game until the end. Bucks ended up winning uh, 118 to 113. But it, man, it was a bizarre basketball game. Like I, I just, I've never seen that from a coach where it's like, I just sit your guys down. But I, maybe he just didn't think that the Nets I – mean, I, I, there's two schools of thought. One, he was disappointed with how the Nets were playing in that first half, and he's like, fuck you guys. You're not playing the rest of the game. We're just going to let the other guys play. I could see Jacquemon doing that. Number two, it's like trying to counteract, like, oh, you want to see these guys. You want to see your guys against the best. But we also need these guys to kind of take a rest and not play. So let's only play them 10 minutes. Let's half – play for half the game. I, I don't know. It's it's bizarre. It, it really was 
Um, I didn't really look and see what Jock Vaughn's explanation was on the whole thing. But the big story and the guy who would take home the three kegs, we'll run through golden kegs real quick after, is Brooke Lopez. Uh, Brooke Lopez was incredible this basketball game. He had 24 points, he had 10 rebounds, he had nine blocks. Uh, that, to me, is one of the best stat lines of the year. Uh, Brooke was so good tonight, or last night. It was a just a joy to watch Brooke Lopez play basketball and dominate you know, in different ways, right? Whether it was a three, whether it was a block at the rim, uh, you know, the Nets were fearless. I'll give them that credit, but they, it did not work out well for them. And Brooke Lopez is again, stayed in his case for defensive player of the year. He is just, he's just a force down there. He is extremely hard to deal with. And I think the offensive side of it needs to at least be recognized too. Brooke has done as much as held things together as Drew Holiday has, right? I think, all this season, we've talked about how great Drew's been and how Drew has been one of the uniting forces of Milwaukee and that because of him, the Bucks have been able to sort of be the best team in the in the East. I think Brooke Lopez deserves to be in that conversation too. It should be Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez. I, I think there's a real case that you could make that Brooke Lopez is an all-NBA guy, like a third-teamer. I don't think he'll get it. But, I mean, the Bucks are best team in the NBA, right? And... You probably shouldn't have one all-NBA all guy uh, if, if that's the case. And I realize Holiday is probably more likely to get that. But, like, you can't forget about Brooke Lopez. And that's why, like, I talk about it at the Open. Like, I want appreciation. Like, I think we all just – I think we all do appreciate Brooke Lopez. But I, I, I just want to make sure it's not forgotten that the Bucks are nowhere uh, where they are today. If, if Brooke Lopez is hurt like he was last year or he's just not at the level that he's been playing. I mean – I know he's gunning for a contract, which is great, and the Bucks should pay him. I, I think there's no reason that the Bucks shouldn't pay him another, whether it be a three-year, sixty or seventy million dollar deal, um, or or something along those lines. I, I think you have to get a deal done with Brooke Lopez, and yeah, maybe someone comes in with a ridiculous offer that you can't compete with. I would imagine that Brooke would want to stay, but I also would understand if Brooke wants to cash up, right? Um, but I, I think Brooke is such a key cog to what the Bucs do. And you just see it with defensive rating. You see it with how teams can't score inside against Milwaukee. It's really difficult. And you look at the matchup that matchups that are upcoming here with whether it's Eaton, who played, I thought played Brook Lopez actually pretty well the last time they faced. Um, the Kings with Sabonis, they have, they Sabonis is all right, right? Like, uh, but at the same time, He's not, you know, Brooke can take Sabonis. And then the Warriors, I actually think this is a big issue for Golden State. Like, Golden State, to beat Milwaukee, is going to need to just shoot threes all over the floor. Like, if they are hot from three, they'll win that game. But they can't really score inside against Milwaukee with Giannis and Lopez, assuming Giannis is going to play. Do not forget how good Brooke Lopez has been this season. Um, and I feel like the last few games have been a reminder. I actually think, we'll see how he does against Golden State, but... I think there's a legitimate case to be made that he could be player of the week. Like he's, he had a really good game against Orlando. We didn't talk about that game because I had the night off. Uh, but it was that, I mean, he played great in that game too. And so I, I really do believe you have to have to acknowledge what Brooke Lopez has done this season. Um, he got a two keg in that one for me. Um, if you missed golden kegs, we can do golden kegs, uh, really quick here, uh, with the best and the worst, uh, from the Bucks. Uh, two, three kegs, obviously Lopez. Uh, two kegs was Bobby Portis. I, I, Bobby was really good tonight. And Bobby, you know, had been kind of struggling 
uh, getting back to being a bench guy. Uh, we had mentioned this with Connaughton uh, in the Magic game. Connaughton looked better in this one tonight, but Connaughton has also sort of struggled in that getting back to being a bench player. Um, and Bobby, though, was on, starting for Giannis tonight, and he excelled. He had 28 points. He had 13 rebounds. He was 11 of 15 from the floor. He made three threes. Uh, really good stuff from Bobby. And, you know, did, hopefully, you know, he can work on that transition and fine-tune it and understand that he's still a key force to what the Bucks do in their second unit, and he doesn't need to go away or, or be a shadow. So hopefully this is a springboard for Bobby, uh, but he was really good. One keg either could go to Javon Carter, who was terrible in this game. He was two for 12, uh, just an awful night for Javon Carter, or the third quarter. The third quarter was such a mess for Milwaukee. Uh, they got outscored by 10 points. They didn't really look interested in playing the basketball game anymore. And it's been a theme for Milwaukee this year, a little bit with big leads where they can't seem to sustain them. And we talked about Marquette, you know, being the thing with them is slow starts, right? And saying every team has a bugaboo. And it seems like the bugaboo for the Bucks is not holding big leads. Like this is now the second straight old game where Milwaukee's had a large lead and they've let the team come back in. I understand on cruise control. I understand there are a bunch of young guys who want to make a name for themselves, whether it's Cam Thomas, whether it's David Duke Jr., uh, interesting name, right? Uh, my friend Eric, who was with me, was like, that's really his name? I'm like, yeah, man. Uh, real ones from Big East know that. Uh, Drew Smith, Dayron Sharp, uh, Yantu Wananabi, like, those guys wanted to like have a game. So I understand like the energy levels are different, but you can't keep fucking around with these big leads. Um, so it, it's something the Bucks got to figure out. Like I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm worried about it. Maybe I, I should, we should have asked Mitch about that when we did the confidence stuff. Maybe we'll talk about it next time him and I get on the sticks, but it's definitely uh, a, a slight concern. Right. And so I do think, that we we just need to make sure everything's okay in terms of not not losing big leads, not going on cruise control. Uh, we did it for the Magic Golden Kegs on the internet. Uh, you can see that. <laughs> uh, it's having the keg uh, sports on TikTok as well as Instagram. I did give three kegs to Chris Middleton. He was great in that game. He was bad tonight, like it, it, which is okay, right? Middleton's getting his sea legs. I am okay that Chris Middleton did not play well tonight. He played really good in Orlando. I will take one of two in terms of that. And we'll see tomorrow. We'll see tomorrow if Middleton end up, ends up in the starting rotation still uh, with Giannis back in the mix. Uh, and then also, uh, who else got the kegs? Uh, Brooke Lopez got the two keg. He was good. So we talked about one keg with Pat Conson. And we mentioned that a little bit too. Like the adjustment to the bench is not great. Pat couldn't get a, get a call last night. He was lucky not to get the tee. He was really hot at the officials. He finished with eight points uh, in the game against Brooklyn. So we'll just see what happens with Bucks Warriors. Like I said, if Marquette were to advance to the Big East turn, tournament final, we'll talk about Bucks Warriors. If not, We'll probably, you know, fold that into uh, our Monday show, even though we're going to be talking a lot about the bracket uh, with Mitch and Shaken. Okay, uh, let's wrap up today's show really quickly with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we are still at a standstill with Aaron Rodgers. There's no new news. I kept my phone open just in case. Like, all right, if Aaron Rodgers decides to go go elsewhere or it decides to, you know, happen, uh, we would basically have the Aaron Rodgers news, but there is there is nothing uh, that we have so far. Um, so there is a 
thing, I guess, if you want to say the only the only thing that you could say is Gary V said, hope everybody's having a nice Friday for those who are unfamiliar. Gary V is uh, a massive Jets fan. Uh, and then AJ Hawk did co-tweeted the prayer emoji. So we'll see if uh, if we finally have movement on the Rogers Jets scenario. I will certainly um, talk to you guys about that tomorrow if that is the case. You had people burning cheese heads. Uh, that was uh, what was it? Garrett Wilson, uh, Sauce Gardner, Brees Hall uh, to summon Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. Uh, it seems like these guys are really excited to have Aaron Rodgers there. Um, I, I'm not entirely, uh, I think, composed yet with my thoughts on Rodgers and the Jets. I want it to happen first before I, you know, there's so many things to talk about when it does happen. Uh, whether it's the contract itself, because I think it's a complete, I, here's my frustration with it. I, I was ready to like lay into it and I've got a lot of feedback. Shout out to RJ. I think Eric had a little bit of feedback too on it. Where I'm like, this whole approach of like letting Aaron Rodgers decide, it's like, yeah, you have to have him be involved. But it's like, why did you give him that money in the first place? And I, I know what people say. It's like, we didn't expect that jump in Jordan Love. And it's like, okay. That said, you drafted Jordan Love as the successor. Like you always thought Jordan Love was going to be the successor. And Aaron Rodgers goes off for two MVP seasons. It's like, why not just trade him to Denver and see what you have? And that that's the Mark Murphy part, where I truly believe Mark Murphy is more involved in this. And that's what I think some of the national media is missing. The, the, what I've noticed so far, and it's, we got a long way to go, likely, in how the national media breaks this down. But the things that the national media are currently missing on this Rodgers thing, number one, they're missing the jump that Jordan Love has made. They, they will... Realize that once, like it gets to August, and they're like, "Whoa, I, you know, they I, all the reports say Jordan Love made this huge leap, and like Jordan Love, and that's why they were okay letting Rogers go, and that's why they gave him the money because they weren't sure that Jordan Love was the guy." Um, so there'll be that part. There's that part the national media is missing. The other part the national media is missing is just the con, you know, the Mark Murphy angle. And that Mark Murphy's leaving, and that deep Packer shit, right? I don't expect the national media to know this, but it's all it's all because Mark Murphy's leaving that they gave him that deal because Mark Murphy wanted to chase that dragon and wanted to get another Super Bowl because under Mark Murphy's plaque it would say two time Super Bowl chairman, not one time like Bob Harley. But so that's part of it too. But yeah, and they're like, well, they they messed up the fact that they don't have, they have to pay Jordan Love at some point. Do you have to give Jordan Love $45 million next season? Even though Jordan Love is going to be owed an extension sooner rather than later. If he goes off and balls out and wins MVP, yeah, maybe. But it's kind of the Jalen Hurts discussion, right? I'll be very curious to see the contract Jalen Hurts gets. Because everyone's like, oh, Jalen Hurts should get the max. I mean, should he? He had one awesome year. Like, I don't know. Like, that's that's a real question that you have to have if you're the Eagles. Now, they don't have the fifth year because he's a second-round pick, which is interesting. Um, and you could definitely franchise tag Jordan Love and be like, we need, we need to see two years of it. So there's that part. Um, but we'll, we'll just sort of have to see. Uh, I think we're all headed towards the Rodgers love. But, yeah, there's so much to talk about. The contract is a huge part of it. I understand the uncertainty of love. But at the same time, like, 
you you could have done a better contract for that. You could have figured that out. And if that was the only way that Aaron Rodgers was going to come back and he's like, all right, if I don't get this, you have to trade me to Denver, then that's then, then you should have. Then you should have traded to Denver because it, it impacted everything. It impacted this trade market. It impacted, you know, how you'll future how you'll deal with this in the future. It, it's just this whole thing is there's just a lot there where it could have been done a lot differently. And it's frustrating. I, I think it's happening. I just don't know when. And if Rogers were to retire and say, no, fuck it, I'm not doing it. Um, well, just that that would be an entirely different story. And that puts the contracting maybe even into more focus. All right, guys, we'll we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we'll talk Marquette UConn. Um, that will likely be the only topic, so it might be just a twenty-minute conversation. Uh, if we're previewing the Big East tournament final, um, or we're previewing the uh, NCAA tournament, hope everybody has power. Hopefully, you guys are doing safe in the snow. Um, we shall talk to you tomorrow. All right, take care. Have a good one. Bye.